The Incomparable Number 347 April 2017 Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is one of those ridiculous episodes where we draft things. What we're drafting this time is Star Trek episodes. So any Star Trek series is eligible, but it has to be a TV series. No movies. Movies cannot be drafted. And uh, the only other rule that I've given my panelists is that uh, episodes labeled as part one and part two can be considered a whole for the purposes of this. But if there isn't a label... You can't consider, you can't draft like the whole you know last season of Deep Space Nine. Not allowed. Not allowed. Uh, joining me to draft things because I love it so much are the following people: David J. Lore. Hello. Hi. I'm I'm starting with the magics of Megas Two. Yeah, that's good. I mean, animated yeah, series yeah, episodes, that's... they're laying right out there. Get that, get, yeah, the, ju- I mean, no, get the jihad in there. No one's going to snipe those. No, definitely not. Justin Michael is here as well. Hi, Justin. Oh, I tore my pants. You, you tore your pants? Hey, I guess I'm in real trouble now. No one? No? Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, reference not acknowledged, but we'll get to it. <laughs> Aline Sims is here. Hello. Hello. I, I want, for the record... To say that I called all of my episodes on Twitter earlier, so nobody can take them. I, I already called That's, them. That's, I think, not allowed, but very well. Ah. Yeah. You know who isn't here? Joe Rosensteel was supposed to be here, um, but sadly, he's not. And Dan Warren, also sadly, not here. Um, but, you know, sometimes in fantasy uh, sports drafts, you uh, set up the computer to auto-pick for you. And indeed, those fellows will be auto-picking as we go. Um, followed by, of course, last but not least at all, the host of Random Trek on this very podcast network, Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello. I don't I don't think I'm actually last, though. And, of course, I will pick last because that's a thing I do as your gracious host. So that order in which you heard people, David, Justin, Aline, Joe, and Dan, robo-picking, Scott, and then me, is the order of this draft. I don't, I don't like these robo-pickings going before me. <laughs> I say people before robots. Fair point. They are now below me in the order. How about that? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Scott, see, I, I like I like win. the way I like the cut of your jib, mister. I like the way you think. <laughs> another win for McNulty. That's right. It, well, let's uh we'll we'll go a few rounds and pick some great Star Trek episodes. And we're going to begin the first round with David J. Lore, who random.org has selected to pick first. Uh go ahead, David. What is your choice? <laughs> well, I'm I'm kind of stunned that I get to go first. I picked like all these extra I have this huge list just in case. Um, but I am going to go with my very favorite episode of any Star Trek so far, The Visitor from Deep Space Nine. It's just a wonderful meditation on family and fathers and sons. It, it's a story that starts with a young woman coming coming to a house in the rain, and she's she's trying to get an interview with this reclusive, elderly reclusive author. And it turns out to be Jake Sisko. And he doesn't want to talk to her, but he, he finally relents. He lets her in because it's pouring rain. And he starts to tell the story of how he lost his father, how his father was ripped out of time for, by, uh, you know, sciencey things. Particles. In uh, many, many years, <laughs> many, many years ago. Those particles. And But he would periodically reappear over time. And every few years he would, he would be there and they couldn't, they couldn't communicate with him. But, you know... He's sort of haunting them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and it is a wonderful story about writing. It's a wonderful story about 
uh, the bond between a father and a son. And it's, it's just a lovely, a lovely resolution to it too, because of course, of course they save Jay, uh, they save Ben Cisco and that future does not happen, but it's, it's just, it, the, the first time I, I thought of it, you know, it's like, Oh, what, what are your favorite episodes? Oh, well, city on the edge of forever. Everyone picks city on the edge of forever. And I went, you know, actually I think it's the visitor now. It just, it hit me right dead center in the chest, which a lot of shows do not. A uh, Deep Space Nine episode first off the board. That is amazing. And Dan didn't even have to be here. <laughs> Boom. That's Suck it, Robo Morin. It's a good episode. It I'm not going to deny it. It's a, it's a good episode. Of course, in the end, wacky time hi- hijinks make it not ever hap- have happened. Well, yeah. that is the problem. That's That's kind of common in Trek. One of my favorite things in that episode, though, is that Jake Sisko's novel is a hardcover novel, and it has like a little hologram on the cover because it's a book from the future. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Still a paper book, but it's got a holographic cover, so you know it's from space. And it is Tony Todd as elderly Jake Sisko. Yeah. Which is lovely casting. So an episode of Deep Space Nine that features almost none of the um, actual cast of the show. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Justin, what's your choice? I'm going to surprise everyone with another Deep Space Nine episode. Oh! I know. I know. And I've got to go with In the Pale Moonlight. Mm. The episode. Yeah. Yep. The, no! the episode in which crossing it <laughs> off already. Yeah, like I, he he might have had an inside track. I don't know. Robo Dan and Robo Joe both cry out. <laughs> <laughs> it's as if two Robo voices have been silenced. <laughs> it's such an incredible episode. You've got Garrick in it, which Garrick. Oh, I love me some Garrick. And you've got Cisco battling his morals throughout the entire thing. The the way they tell the story through his captain's log. Oh. So, so good. And and the, the writing, just spot on. That line toward the end where Garrick's, you know, telling him, like, you know, you just, you basically just turned the tide of the war and all it cost was, you know, the, the life of one criminal, one uh, Romulan senator and, and the self-respect of one Federation captain. That sounds like a bargain to me. So yeah. good. Yeah, I mean that's the one. That's the episode that comes up all the time as the the classic Deep Space Nine episode that that you need to know the whole story for it to get the weight. But that's the one where it all comes comes uh, comes to a head. So it was yeah. it, it was number one on Joe's list and Dan's list. By the way, I'm just I'm not kidding. <laughs> it, yeah. it was number two on mine, and it has maybe my very number favorite three. last moment in Deep Space Nine, where you know the whole thing is. Cisco telling this in flashback as a log entry and the very last moment he just says computer delete log and kind of looks at the camera and you go whoa (laughs) did they just do that they just did that although that does uh, speak to once again a shocking lack of security in Starfleet because (laughs) why are you going to tell this entire story to your log and then not even securely delete it you just normally delete it that could be recovered from the computer it's not good Cisco computers do not uh, spy on us and are not tools of espionage (laughs) that's crazy talk especially not if it's a Cardassian built (laughs) computer yeah and you're you're speaking out loud in an office that could be (laughs) bugged or yeah what was that dad what were you saying yeah, the next the next day, the knock on Cisco's door, and it's like, well, we we 
we, we heard your log entry. <laughs> <laughs> we have a few questions about this deleted log entry. I said delete it. I said to delete it. Oh, nothing gets deleted in Starfleet, Fleet, Ben. You should have known that. Um, Aline, what's your choice? All right. I am going with the next generation, the inner light. Um, uh, yep. So this is my number one all-time favorite Star Trek episode. It's... Um, after school, when I was growing up, I would come home and they had like these four hours of Star Trek blocks uh, of the next generation blocks. And every time this came on, I stopped everything, dropped everything I was doing. So basically, the plot is an alien probe causes Picard to live a different lifetime in a matter of minutes. He lives an entire lifetime and um, he he is married. He has kids. Um, he puts and, on sunscreen. Don't forget. He puts on sunscreen. <laughs> he learns to play the flute. He wears a hat. Mm-hmm. The hat, the planet is uh, destroyed because of uh, climate change. It's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but I love the episode and it doesn't hurt that um, the closest that I've ever heard my name on TV is in this episode <laughs> because his um, his wife's name um, as he's going through this um, kind of uh, brain life <laughs> is um, is Eileen, I think is how they say it. Hmm. And um, and so I pick Inner Light. Okay, everybody get out your flutes. It's time to play <laughs> and cry. Aww. I got out my pen and crossed it off my list. Yes, that was what second. about your portable pianos, though? Oh, also, that's... also note, another episode. <laughs> Three episodes so far, two of which have mostly not featured the regular cast. That's true. It's now, I, I love the inner light, although yeah. Uh, yeah. having watched it recently for a random trek, it does occur to me that this is a horrific uh, event in Captain Picard's life. Yeah. He lives this whole life, yeah. he loses all these people, mm-hmm. and he's just fine at the end of it. He's like, everybody's cool. No, no, he's no, not just he he's mourns not fine. It. He he's, mourns it throughout. He, he picks up that flute and he... He grabs the flute and you. The, and then the, he the, looks out the window. Uh, yeah. And then the sad. next episode, everything's He's fine. fine. <laughs> My headcanon, you know, Troy uh, gave him a like a, a like a mental block or something after that. Just like <laughs> she, she just came in and said, "Forget." You know, that's totally valid for people with telepathic powers to just say "forget" to their captain every now and then if they're bumming out. All right, that's a great one, Aline. That was on my list, and I have now crossed <laughs> it out. So take that. Uh, me. Scott, what's your choice? <laughs> uh, well, I am surprised, or maybe I'm not surprised, that it, it has gotten to me, uh, and there have been no original series episodes chosen, and I know that Jason is next, and he will probably be picking an original series episode. He may, may not, but oh, I will oh, pick I, I, hmm? an episode that has already been mentioned, but not picked. Uh, the City on the Edge of Forever. Ah, uh, yep. Which is... It's a cliche to pick it and call it the best Star Trek episode ever. But guess what? It is the best Star Trek episode <laughs> ever. And that's why it is a cliche. Uh, it, and it is also another one of these episodes that is, doesn't take place on the ship, uh, doesn't feature a lot of the cast. I mean, it features the, the main, uh, trinity there, except Dr. McCoy is, uh, a little crazy pants in this. It's not heavily <laughs> featured. <a> <laughs> uh, but this is, Edith Keeler, uh, time travel, Guardians. This episode is fantastic. I, if you're listening to this episode of The Incomparable and you have not, for some reason, seen The City on the Edge of Forever, uh, take out whatever device you're listening on, press pause, and go watch <laughs> go this watch episode, it. and then come back. I, I endorse that. 
Hey everybody, welcome back. Wasn't that a good episode of Star Trek? <laughs> see, see why I picked it. It all makes sense now, Scott. Yeah, it's a great episode. It is. It's it is. I I struggled about where to put it on my list mostly because it does seem so obvious now. And I've had that was my favorite Star Trek episode for a long time, and I feel like it's not anymore, mostly because of just a familiarity with it. It was for so long and I saw it so many times and over the years I've come to appreciate other episodes in ways that I didn't, but I think it's not entirely fair because it was just it 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 I I also own like I own the original screenplay, I own the graphic novel of the adaptation <laughs> of the original screenplay. Oh, wow. It was the it was yeah, the first VHS same. tape I bought of Star Trek. Yeah, I mean it, it, it there is a facility to the storytelling in that that is it, and, and an economy to it. But at the same time, when I watch it now and I can kind of go, well, they're kind of speeding up a little bit there. It's a little, you know, it's still 60s TV storytelling. Um, it's very good 60s TV storytelling. Yeah, there might actually be original series episodes I like better than that, too. And I love yeah. Harlan Ellison. So, yeah, but it's certainly top five of all for me. All right. It's my turn. And despite Scott's surety, sureness, oh, no. confidence what? that I would pick a TOS I, episode. I, I, I'm hoisted I by my own is. Picard. I, I'm, I know what I'm this not, is. I'm not. I was shocked when I put this list together earlier today, but it had to be done. The episode that I did not want anyone else to pick more than any other was <laughs> Joe Minoski's Darmok from Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, which yep. is my favorite Star Trek episode, period, bar none. That, that, is, that is it. I love it. I love everything about it. Picard's got his crazy, like, leather epauletted jacket that he wears in that one so that he has those strange gray shirt underneath. It's like his version of Kirk's weird blouse that he wore sometimes. <laughs> There's a, a really great mystery with the Tamarians. They've got a powerful spaceship. They speak a language nobody understands. It's got a, a fun performance by Paul Winfield as who we all know as Captain Terrell from Star Trek II as the captain of the Tamarian ship who does not understand what the heck the, uh, the, the humans are saying and they don't understand him and he's trying to get them to understand and when you watch it back having figured out what he's saying you can see his frustration like come on why don't you get this and the thing about it that I think is legitimately great is the concept of using metaphors to tell a story by the end you've intuited what the metaphors are and literally if you just go back and watch the episode again now you can understand everything that they're saying and because the episode has done that to you and it's tragic the, the Captain Dathan dies Picard um, can't save him because they're trying to rescue him. Uh, the Enterprise is in peril, so there's some excitement in it too. There are the quiet moments by the campfire, his possessions, and like the Inner Light, which has that sad moment at the very end where Picard clutches the flute. In this one, I really love at the very end, he offers the little metal-like symbols and things that Captain Dathan has brought down onto Eladrell. Um, he offers them uh, all back to the, uh, his, his, uh, the people on his ship and and like and the knife and they're like no you keep it and he salutes him with it at the end it's the same kind of emotional note at the end for picard so i love it darmok it's the best i love it yeah i i, I crossed that off my list and i i won a bet with myself oh so. yeah you thought <laughs> that you. would be my Thank pick you. i just won ten dollars for myself congratulations Ooh, wow shake yeah. your wow. shake yeah. shake your head in, in latinum don't be a sore loser slash winner and i will try, uh, <laughs> I will try. suck at me well, uh, yeah. See, I tried. I tried. There you go, Scott. Look at that. 
<sighs> you, you, you proved me wrong. Yeah. Although I do, so <laughs> Darmok, I love Darmok as well. Uh, I have yet another nitpick about Darmok though, uh, because there is a scene where Data and Troy are trying to figure out, you know, where these, uh, allegory metaphors could come from. And they're like, I don't know. We have this giant powerful computer. Uh, maybe we could run some searches. Yeah. Uh, and, and they, they, these are like the worst Google searches ever. They people. are. They, they, I don't understand yeah. why they don't figure this out almost immediately with the help of the computer but starfleet computers are built on alta vista yeah <laughs> it's uh ask, ask jeeves, jeeves. Yeah. he's jeeves is a hologram you can get in the holodeck too if you want <laughs> he doesn't know what anything is he's very unhelpful very good sir all right it is time for boop, 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 the robo picks from joe Steele and dan morin joe is picking from Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine again. What is going on? Because <laughs> it's the best series. Joe is. is picking Paradise Lost, which is the, he says, unofficial part two of Homefront. Mm. I could have Robo Joe parachute in from another time zone and tell me why he picked Paradise Lost. Maybe we'll do that. So Paradise Lost was not my first pick, although I am surprised it went over so poorly. Uh, Paradise Lost is about the Federation uh, the heart of the Federation, Earth, being taken over from the inside in a coup, a military coup, by uh, Admiral Layton, who's played by uh, Robert Foxworth. And he's notable for being a, of Babylon 5 fame, and also he would go on to play almost exactly the same role in a uh, uh, Vulcan arc of uh, Enterprise episodes in Season 4. But uh, this one, Paradise Lost, the, the second part, the unofficial second part of Homecoming, um, they don't they don't have part one and part two, so they don't qualify. But uh, this one, I feel, is the more important of the two episodes because they have to deal with the actual coup occurring, whereas the first one is definitely setting up the coup. You have uh, Benjamin Sisko's father, uh, Brock Peters, uh, also Admiral Cartwright appearing. You have uh, uh, the, the captain of the Lakota, who is sent out to do battle with the Defiant, um, which was a big deal, two Federation ships uh, squaring off, uh, both thinking the other uh, needed to do what it needed to do. And uh, Admiral Layton's plans all fall apart. And uh, you see that uh, Earth is not so easy to control through fear. Uh, so I, I really think that uh, it's it's quite an outstanding early episode of Deep Space Nine. Um, it certainly is not the height of the Dominion War arc. Uh, so that's, that's one of the reasons why I picked it. And, and with the final pick of the first round, Robo Dan Morin selects an episode that was on my list the twisty turny brandon braga episode from the next generation cause and effect in which the oh, enterprise is destroyed yeah. every mm-hmm. time every act every except act. the last so one it's great on my list as well this was probably i think the first full episode of star trek that i ever actually saw uh and it was shown to me by my cousins and i remember watching it at my aunt and uncle's house when I was probably a, a teenager of some variety. I I remember it being uh, a very interesting episode and kind of exciting. I love the time travel element of it. Uh, it's hard to uh, understate how uh, interesting it is, you know, to come into a show and basically have the premise that the, <laughs> the starship gets destroyed. Uh, and so I had no idea what was going on, but I, I remembered vividly to these days 
um, so many of the aspects of this. And when I rewatched it recently, I, it, it amazed me how many lines of dialogue I remembered and just some of the shots and uh, the overall plot. Now, what I like best about this is that it's it's a mystery episode. You don't really know what's going on. And of course, it starts out in, in Media Res with the Enterprise exploding and everybody, you know, Picard telling everybody to abandon ship. And then suddenly you're back to where you started before. So obviously, I imagine that um, some of the idea behind this probably came from something like um well i was gonna say came from groundhog day but groundhog day actually apparently aired or uh, was released afterwards so uh interesting that those came out around the same time um the uh the the time loop aspect upon revisiting it i felt like Maybe it doesn't make quite as much sense. Like, why do they remember some things, not other things? But there's there's some hand-waving that goes on there. I'm okay with it because the premise of it is set up very interestingly. I imagine this was a big challenge to to shoot as an episode, too, just because you have to do the same scenes over and over again, uh, and you have to sort of make them interesting every time. Uh, this episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes, and he does a nice job of trying to figure out ways to shoot the scenes differently. So, like, if you look at the poker game every time they're playing it, it's in uh, different different orders uh, or different angles. Um, you know, sometimes shot from above, sometimes shot from eye level. Like, it's, it's well done. Um, I really also enjoy that this is an episode that gives Beverly a chance to sort of take the reins. She's the one who starts to, like, put together what's going on. Uh, it's nice because I feel like she doesn't get a lot of episodes that focus on her. Um, there's a, a nice bit with, um, of obviously, when they figure out what's going on, they manage to send a message via data. And we have these wonderful scenes of all the threes popping up uh, that eventually tells them that the Commander Riker solution is the right one. Uh, and I love the callback and sort of continuity stuff at the end when we discover that the other ship that they're about to run into is captained by Kelsey Grammer um, from Cheers. And that um, it's, you know, they're wearing the old Star Trek, uh, Star Trek movie era uniforms, the red uniforms, uh, and they've been stuck in that uh, time loop for a really long time. And I was kind of wondered, I'm sure there are secondary novels and stuff to deal with it, but I love the idea of all these people who have been stuck there for like 80 years and are just like, oh, well, we're out now. I guess we should uh, go about our lives and and wow, you guys have great new technology. This is this is fantastic. So uh, I like this episode a lot, and it's really stuck with me for a long time. I know people rip on Brandon Braga for other shows and other things, but that is a legitimately great episode of TNG. It is. I think the problem that I have yeah. with it is just that I I feel like he wanted to redo that episode. Um, a, yeah. more times and so that you see more variation like timescape is kind of like this and there are different variations on it um, including one that's still on my list um, but this one uh, is I think the best one right and plus Kelsey Grammer's in it at the end Great. which is wacky Yay. yeah I love that alright that first round is done uh, just to total it up one original series episode three <laughs> next generation episodes three Deep Space Nine episodes other series are also Star Trek. David Lore, <laughs> let's start the second round with you. I, you know, I'm because I'm looking at my list here because I didn't put them in any kind of order. Um, seems like a tactical yeah, error. Seems like maybe uh, you need to do more homework there, David. Do you need to pass? Do you need to skip I around? I might. I might pick another original series episode. Mirror, mirror. The first oh. time we see the mirror universe. Ah, yes. That's and... Honest. It's, you know, it's, it's sparked 
all kinds of, you know, several episodes of Deep Space Nine, at least, you know, a pair of episodes in Enterprise. Uh, it sparked a lot of fan fiction, including a very famous story, Visit to a Weird Planet and Visit to a Weird Planet Revisited. And it is just, again, it's the economy of 60s TV storytelling. It is very straightforward and simple, but it shows us a wonderful variation of an evil enterprise and the Imperial Starfleet and, uh, you know, a, a Sulu who, who is uh, ruthless and scarred and a Chekhov who hopes to advance through assassination and then gets thrown in the agony booth for his troubles and uh, where he gets to scream, which is, you know, one of it, Chekhov's strengths. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> if, if you're going to have screaming, go to Chekhov. Uh, and, and a very clever plot and way of resolving it again uh, and, and, and leaving a, a very uh, a, a conflicted evil Spock. And we don't know what will happen. And, and of course, it was irresistible for Deep Space Nine to uh, go back and do, do a whole string of episodes set in the mirror universe and we find that what we suspected might happen with spock uh kind of failed miserably right which is very interesting or at least um, backfired that's what backfired. says he did actually take over the right yeah the, uh, the empire right. but then it fell i guess is what deep space nine says and uh it's it's just it's a really you know for all for all the shows i mean the 60s is filled with TV shows that did the evil twin or the evil variation. And, you know, even even just in that genre, this is maybe the best of those. Hmm. Plus, you have the Tantalus field. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's it's, true. All, it's all it's all good. I like the ending, too. the captain's too, woman. Where, where the, the woman from the other other uh, other enterprise comes on as a crew transfer. And uh, and that's a funny little kind of ending coda there. Also, yes, Chekhov screams a lot. I think at one point they hang him on the wall. Um, and you know, when you hang Chekhov on the wall in the first act, you got to fire him later. He has to go that's off. Right. Yeah. That's a really bad oh, joke. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I'm just proud that I wasn't the one who made that because I'm a sucker for Chekhov's gun. Uh, mm. Justin, no. what uh, do you have for us? Well, that was an excellent pick of an excellent episode. Allow me to pair it with another Ooh. Mirror Universe episode that is also excellent. Um, like, like bookends, you know, the, the first mirror, mirror, uh, mirror universe episode was just picked. Now let me pick the last mirror oh. universe episode in a mirror darkly from enterprise. You picked an enterprise episode. Yes, I did. Yes. Oh my God. I never would have guessed. Justin, it was on my list. <laughs> it was on, and, and it, it was the, the only, only enterprise, enterprise episode, episode on my list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I was yep. just going to say, I worked to get one episode from every iteration of Trek, and that was the one Enterprise one. It's a great episode. It's a two-part episode, it's a, it, and it's great. It's a two-part episode. It's yeah. a sequel to two original series episodes at yeah. once. Mm -hmm. Plus, yeah. plus you have a Gorn. Uh-huh. You've got a, a, nice you've got a Gorn. Gorn. You've got Gorn. the Tholians. Oh, the Tholians in this episode. Oh, oh, so, so wonderful. Like, everything from the the little situation with with uh, flocks interrogating to the space battles and everything like that and their little station and everything and their little plot to to tear the ship apart and learn all its secrets to and to, a, a carefully you know, constructed classic series um federation starship bridge that they're oh, on for most beautiful. of the second episode it's yeah. beautiful 
Yeah. yeah, not not just the bridge though, like the, the corridors, corridors yeah. like all of it, the engine room. Oh, so good. And and you've got like treachery and everyone, everyone in this episode, like every single character from top to bottom, whether it's human, alien, whatever, they're all over the top bad. They're just over the top evil. And two of the brilliant touches in this, uh, first of all, yeah, there's no connection to our universe. It is just entirely nope. set over there. Yep. Although, I mean, well, the, the, stuff, the, the stuff comes over from our, our yes. universe, but that's it. Yes, but we never see our universe. Right. And and as a result, they redid the opening credits as, you know, with mm-hmm. this evil martial military theme with all these dark, dark clips. And, and it's the only episode of Enterprise that has a good theme song. And <laughs> uh, the other the other thing I love about it is it's it's one of the only times where Scott Bakula seems like he's actually having fun. Yep. And oh, yeah, he's, he's having a ball. That is my knock against Enterprise is, you know, why do you hire this man who is a very personable actor and then you make him scowl and be serious all the time? Oh, yeah. unless he's watching water polo. He loves his water. Polo. Oh, yeah, that's true. With his dog. And his, dog. Water polo. and his dog. But not in the mirror. Universe. Hey, does water polo even exist in the mirror universe? It's Ooh. played in lava. And <laughs> it's, it's a very short game. It's just a form of execution. Yeah. And they're only allowed to touch the ball with their beards. I sentence you to lava polo. No! <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. So in a mirror darkly. And then, and then Archer dies at the end, which is wonderful, too. That's yeah. true. And just, oh, it's so good. So so that's that's my pick for this round. That's a good one. Let me take a break from this week's ridiculous episode of The Incomparable to tell you about our sponsor. It's Casper, an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foams create an award-winning sleep surface. It's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to be spending a third of your life on it. So sleep for three months on a Casper mattress. And if it takes you that long to decide, you probably like it. But if you decide you don't like it, you sleep on it for a few weeks or a month or two, you're like, hey, you know, it's not working for me. You send it back. That's it. They'll take care of it. You'll get your money back. Free shipping and returns anywhere in the U.S. and Canada. There are over 20,000 different reviews that people have made online of the Casper mattress. The average rating, 4.8 stars out of 5. It's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. I've been sleeping on a Casper mattress for more than a year. I love it. I would not return it even if it was still in the 100-day window. There's no way. I love it. I love it. It is so comfortable to sleep on. It's great in the summer. It's great in the winter. Even the cat likes it because he can just push his little paws into the mattress. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Snell and using offer code Snell at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you, Casper, for sponsoring The Incomparable. Aline, what's your choice? I'm going with another Next Generation episode just because I am worried that someone else might take it. So Mm. I am saying Tapestry from the Next Generation uh, Season 6. So the the story here is Picard is shot while on a diplomatic mission, and it's a Q episode. And I know Q episodes have a reputation, but I actually kind of love them. Mm -hmm. Um, So so this is the good one. This is the good one. This is the good one. (laughs) I know. I know. I should have filled my list with Q episodes. 
episodes because I know that <laughs> I would have been safe. But so Q, he's been shot and Q comes in. And he's like, hey, you can relive this moment of your past, this moment that you regret that Picard has talked about regretting. And so Picard goes back in time, gets to relive this this situation, this bar fight that he was in um, when he was just out of the academy. Um And he finds out that that was such a major tipping point in his life that it gave him drive and ambition to live and live well and be successful that um, when he comes back to the analog version of him in the present day, he's just like the science officer that nobody knows and who has accomplished nothing. Um, And I just I love I love this episode so much. It's um, I'm a sucker for for those like what if episodes I have those moments in my life I'm like well what if I had done this thing differently and I think we all have those and um it's kind of a wish fulfillment thing for me too where I'm like well maybe Q will come and let me relive some moments <laughs> I'll see how it all turned out it's possible well and, and the the beauty of the plotting of it I mean it, it's basically a quantum leap episode is what it is yeah it is and yeah. the but the beauty of it is the symmetry of you know he's shot but it's not that he's been shot the 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 blast has fused his artificial heart and is is causing it to fail and the only reason he has an artificial heart is because of that bar fight which is a story he tells Wesley in a terrible season 2 episode mm-hmm. and they did a wonderful job of of going back to this really interesting anecdote in a dumb episode and and giving it weight and giving it a purpose scott this was the first random track episode you and i did it it was i was going to say this is uh this round i was going to pick tapestry (gasps) sniped (laughs) well for many reasons uh i really like the episode uh i enjoy q this was the first episode of random track that i talked about with mr jason snell uh and also i think it may have one of the uh my favorite lines in star trek ever uh, which is human play Dom Jot. Uh, I say that <laughs> at random times. It means uh, nothing to anyone, but I love saying it. I just like seeing Picard run around in blue. Yeah, it's so it's so yeah. creepy. It's just creepy. It's, it, it's yeah. weird. And he's only got like a pip and a half on the collar. Oh, it's, it's so just sad. like, what is happening? It's now Scott's turn to go because what? Robo Dan and Robo Joe must wait for me and for Scott. What do you think, Scott? What do you have? Robo. Uh, I am going to do something. Uh, I, I in real time, I'm changing up my my order here uh, because uh, I feel like uh, no one's picked a Voyager episode yet. Uh, and, and That's I'll true. Be that you guy. sure you want to go there? They'll they'll be available later. I suspect. <laughs> I have one. That, that, that is I have true. One. But I have I have one that uh, I love. This is my favorite episode of Voyager. This is what I had hoped Voyager would be, and it was not. Year of Hell. Uh, uh, which is uh, another episode that at the end n- never actually happened. Uh, <laughs> which is kind of annoying. But it is... Uh, the premise here is that Voyager is just going through this year of hell. Everything's malfunctioning. But also, that is happening because there is this man who has a time ship, and he just keeps resetting time over and over again because he wants to save his family. He's obsessed with it, and he's just screwing up the timeline for everybody. Uh, it's a fantastic episode. Uh, I love it. And it's got uh, Red from That 70s Show. So how could you not enjoy that? Yep. Basically, what we've learned is we really like episodes that often don't feature the regular cast and often take place in an alternate version. <laughs> yeah. 
it's yeah. it's well these are the special episodes right they're not just a run of mm-hmm. run of the mill story of the week that's true that was going to be my next episode uh, a lot of ah, i know how does it feel i know <laughs> <laughs> reciprocity um, and i just want to mention part of the reason i love it and part of the reason i think that is a showcase i like voyager i don't love it universally i don't love any Star Trek universally, but one of the things I love about it is that it shows how amazing Janeway is and how tenacious she is and determined and smart. Um, and, and I love that. And, uh, that's why I want another female starship captain featured in in a series. (laughs) All right. I'm going to go and I'm going to shock Scott again. (gasps) Don't do it, Jason. I've been, uh, is this mirror mirror universe jason are you yes i'm stroking my goatee now <laughs> Scott. i am picking again again i put two next generation episodes at the top of my list thinking that i would be lucky to get one and i've gotten them both because with my second pick i'm grabbing the definitive star trek the next generation episode the best of both worlds the, uh-huh. the Borg attack at Wolf 359 and decimate the fleet. Picard is taken and turned into a Borg. Then there's a summer where we all wonder what's going to happen. And we come <laughs> back and the deflector dish helps them sort of defeat them. And in the end, Picard is rescued and everything is okay, kind of. But it's the, I, I think this is the episode that had Next Generation, like, helped it break through to a broader audience. People were talking about the cliffhanger. And of course, it went on to define a lot lot of uh, what what little continuity we got in the next generation a lot of it was the Borg storyline Picard's storyline have being affected by being assimilated by the Borg and of course it led to a very nice next generation film first contact so I feel like how could you not I it, it's right there so I have to take it best of both worlds I mean it has it has great moments it is I would say a brilliant half an episode <laughs> And then they resolve it. And then they resolve um, it. It's true. Or, or, yeah. Half a which, which, and that's totally because, you know, Michael Piller wrote the first half and he he was going to leave. Yeah. And didn't know. Good luck, everybody. And then he had to be the guy to figure out how to actually resolve it later. <laughs> and it shows. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, but, but the first half is brilliant. I, if it I was, if, I, it, if it was on my list, I was only going to pick the first half. <laughs> That first half, though, and the ending of, uh, you know, Picard is Locutus, and they do that tight shot of Riker, and yes. he says, Mr. Worf, fire. And you're like, no, Riker, you can't fire. It's Picard. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I, I decided this before we started, that you can't not take both parts of a two-parter. Uh, and <laughs> I was going to call it the best of both worlds rule. Um, but, you know, there's stuff in this. There, there, I think the second episode is good. It just cannot keep up it's with good. the first episode, yeah. which is great. Yeah. It is maybe the definitive next generation episode let's move on to the robo picks joe robo steel <laughs> is he has to skip over some of his picks that were sniped to go to a, available to a, a voyager episode again what? what what this is again off format a bit tinker tenor doctor spy uh, mm. one of my favorite titles on voyager <laughs> So you like the title. <laughs> I like the title. It's, it's a, a good it's title. A fine, it's a fine episode. It's a fine episode. I enjoy it. And, and, you know, it's Robert Picardo getting to have a blast. So, you know, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, He's delightful. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves Robert Picardo. He's great. And the, the, the opening is great. 
Well, I look forward to Robo Joe telling us more about this episode. Yes, please, Joe, tell us. Uh, it seemed like a lackluster response from everyone on the podcast. Perhaps <laughs> Robo Joe will uh, explain why. Tinker Tanner Doctor Spy is one of my favorite Voyager episodes. It's very light comedy. Uh, it does have character development for the Doctor. Uh, I quite enjoy um, seeing his fantasies uh, unfold on screen as outlandish and flamboyant as they are. Uh, I feel like it is it is quite novel. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously. The major tension in the episode uh, is something that you know will be easily averted but uh it's just just watching how he hopes others see him and how he wants to project himself uh through his fantasies um i feel like that is uh one of the reasons why it's, it's one of the better voyager episodes and i think that voyager is definitely stronger when it's doing comedy than when it's trying to be serious uh so that that's why i wanted to go ahead and snag that one especially since i know nobody's picking voyager episodes on this this podcast robo dan's turn to pick and robo dan it has been sniped as well by uh, <laughs> by several people here, so you should be happy. But he's going to go for a Deep Space Nine episode, because it's Dan, but with a little original series flavor, oh, celebrating no, no, no. the trouble with Tribbles with trials no. and yep. tribulations. Uh, it's on my list. Yep. Mine too. And now it's I was, I was thinking about picking it the next yep. round. Me that too. Was, that was my next round. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a, good, such episode. a good episode. Yes. That is an episode if you someone doesn't know anything about Deep Space Nine, but they know Star Trek, so they know Kirk and Spock and Tribbles, you you show them that episode and they love it. Unsurprisingly, my second pick, also a time travel episode, but this one, this is just a fun episode from start to finish. Uh it's from Deep Space Nine, which is my my favorite of all the Star Trek series and its trials and tribulations. It's a fantastic. It's basically just an opportunity to get the crew uh, of Deep Deep Space Nine in the original series and interact with Kirk and some of the original series characters. And it's done by basically in, interpolating it along into the classic um, uh, Trouble with Tribbles episode. And so Cisco and the crew are basically sneaking around trying to find a way to prevent this guy from uh, this, this Klingon operative disguised as a human from killing uh, Kirk and, and sabotaging all these uh, the events of this episode. Um, it's really well done. Even watching it now in the non-restored version it looks great, like the way that they just sort of interleave everybody into it. And some of that is obviously the huge production values, right? Like, you know, everybody gets to dress up and wear the classic the original series uniforms and use all the technology and make fun of how primitive some of the technology is. And it's shot against all these sets that are, you know, clearly painstakingly rebuilt. Um, and it just it looks great. It's fun. Um, you know, O'Brien gets dressed down by Kirk at one point for starting a fight. Cisco gets to meet Kirk at the end of the episode. Uh, Dax gets to uh, talk about how attractive Spock is. Um, and Julian worries about uh, perhaps falling in love with his great-grandmother. Um, it's it's just uh, it's a delightful romp. We get uh, Worf's non-explanation about why Klingons in the original series look so different. Um, we get Odo petting a Tribble. Uh, there's just there's just so much to love about this episode from start to finish, including even the framing story, which has this, establishes, I think, this temporal investigations department in Starfleet that's come to question Cisco about exactly what he did. I love their exasperation with Kirk and how annoying he was from a time travel uh, perspective. 
Um, I like that they don't like any of Cisco's time travel jokes, intended or otherwise. Uh, this is a great showcase for Avery Books. Every time he gets to do that million dollar smile, I really just like it's it's a delight. Um, and so everything about this this episode is just fun uh, from start to finish, and I think that's why I like it so much. Even as someone who was not a huge fan of the original series or had seen much of the original series before this point, there is a uh, a delight in marrying these two uh, very different examples of this show. And, and you know, DS9 is a very different version of the show than the original series. But the fact that it all takes place in the same universe is kind of delightful. It's amazing. The, the jokes and knowing Trouble with Triples by heart. Some of the right. jokes in there are very clearly done by other fans who know Trouble with Tribbles by heart. Because, like, the scene where they're slowly scanning the Tribbles and tossing them <laughs> over their shoulders, c- intercut with the Tribbles falling out and hitting Kirk, yeah. is yeah. so I mean, funny. I mean, it's funny in the original. Beautiful. It is extra funny when it's Dax and Cisco chucking them over their shoulder and just wet. They just are c- continually bombarding William Shatner down below. It's great. Yeah. I mean, this this is an example, again, of, of why I say Deep Space Nine is the best of the series. And, and especially having read the 50-year mission books, that's, you know, kind of the oral history of the show, of all the series. Um, that was a very tight writing staff that stuck together. And they were on fire. I mean, they were just a finely tuned machine compared to the other Trek series. And they were doing these kind of episodes and getting those kind of details in and getting, you know, the, the, the density of reference and, and the way it's woven together. Um, there are other Trek things that have tried to weave together stuff. No, this, this one did it right. Well, and you can tell like the joy that Cisco has in being there. Like he's like a little kid and that's a lot of fun to watch too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Third round time. David, what do you have? All right. I'm torn, but we've had enough Deep Space Nine episodes. So I think I'm going to go back to the the original series again for uh, a glimpse at something we had always been curious about through the first season. And we wanted to know more about, and we still want to know more about, and we don't, with, even with all these shows and movies, we still don't know enough. Uh, Amok Time. Mm. It's, it's the first Pumpar. time we see the Vulcan homeworld. Uh, it's the first time we get a real glimpse into uh, Vulcan society and how it works and, and Vulcan ritual and religion. And, you know, again, son of a theologian. Yes, it's very fascinating. And, and yeah, it is, it is all made up hooey. Cause again, it's sixties TV sci-fi, but it's, it's a fine strain of hooey. And, uh, you know, again, a really nicely constructed, uh, story that lets Kirk and, and Spock fight one another. Which, you know, can often be contrived when you have your heroes fighting. Hello, DC Comics. And, um, but this is a very smart way of doing it. And it's, it's all strategy, right? It's, it's to bring picking Kirk to be her champion. Yeah. And, and throwing a wrench into the plans she had already made, which is kind of, kind of clever. And then McCoy stepping up and saving the day, uh, which leads to one of Spock's greatest moments at the very end. When, uh, you know, for, well, two of them actually, where first he is, you know, uh, live long and prosper Spock. I shall do neither for I have killed my captain. Right. And then he beams back up to the enterprise and who should walk out of sick bay and he spins him around. Jim! Uh. And McCoy is like, 
I think we were just about to see something to bring down the house, right? Uh, that is such a delightful episode on every level. Uh, yep. Even, you know, oh, I just, I love, I love that episode. I agree. It's a great episode. And and all, most of our Vulcan lore really kind of comes out of that, from out of DC Fontana, and especially out of that episode. All right, Justin, what do you have? So next up is a Next Generation episode, Chain of Command. A wonderful oh, yeah. two-parter in which we encounter a new captain of the Enterprise briefly, Jellico, and uh, he ruffles some feathers. Yeah. But um, the, the reason I picked this is, of course, the incredible performance by Patrick Stewart when he's being tortured by the Cardassians. Mm. It's it's probably the most powerful performance he provides throughout the entire series, even more powerful in my opinion than his performance during the inner light, although it's close, but you know, the, the, the work they put into this episode to research torture, to, to watch videos and source material and, like the the way everyone just poured themselves into making this an absolutely incredible story, uh, it shows, and it's it's a wonderfully put together piece of work. So, chain of command. If we didn't have the best of both worlds rule, I would have picked the second half of it because again, I can't I can't go for it if half of it doesn't quite you know the first half is okay. It's a typical episode, but then you get to the reason they made it, which is yeah yeah utterly brilliant. And and certainly his best performance, I agree. Um, and it, it's it's very much in the tradition of again sixties TV doing the interrogation episodes, but this one is uh, grounded in reality, and it's it is hard to watch at points. Yeah, I, I do agree that you know if you look at them as individual episodes, it's easy to say that part two is is obviously the standout, but. I feel like they contrast each other in a very necessary way. In the beginning, mm. in the first part, you've got, you know, the the teams together, you know, a, a smaller subset of the team, but the teams working together and they're they're going to go infiltrate this place and they're going to go accomplish a mission. And, you know, it just shows how everything's working as intended and, you know, Starfleet's great and we're equipped and we're going to do this. And then it all crumbles. And I feel like that setup going into the the slow degradation of his entire life throughout the the torture sessions is is necessarily set up by everything that happens in part one. So fair enough. Yeah, for me, it, it's it's you can't look at them separately. It, it's just one story that happens to be told in two episodes because the format dictates it. And he tells Troy to put a new uniform on. Yeah. 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 Finally. Jellico's a jerk face. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Yes. Ronnie Cox doing a good job as Captain Jerkface. Yeah, he did a great job. Well, he's he's he named a after a job, cat yeah. from Andrew Lloyd Webber's cats. I mean, come on. Yeah, what's wrong with That's that? why he got rid of the fish from the Ready Room. He ate it. He <laughs> ate it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Zebrafish. That is Hot. now headcanon. Aline, what do you have? I am going with a Voyager episode, um, Blink of an Eye, uh, which is a, an episode in which Voyager gets um, stuck in orbit around a planet. Um, and this planet has a, a different like time dilation 
um, than the rest of the galaxy. So in the amount of time that it takes Voyager to kind of get break out of orbit, it's been centuries on this planet. And um, and so it goes through it that Voyager becomes part of the mythology of this planet as a primitive society. They see this new star in the sky. They start to worship it. Um, it becomes the driving factor in them reaching technological innovations until they can finally get to a point where they can reach Voyager and boy- board Voyager. And so we get like this bird's eye view of a civilization rising. And it, it's just, it's neat. It's just a neat story. I almost put that one on my list. Scott, what do you have? Uh, what do I have? Uh, this is another Q episode. Because Fine. I like Q, unlike Fine. some people. Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I like. I also like fish out of water episodes. Uh, and so Deja Q, where Q uh, loses all his powers uh, to be taught a lesson by the continuum, uh, is what I am picking. I enjoy it. He, he His hand uh, gets... Uh, uh, pierced with a fork by Guinan. Uh, <laughs> he tells Geordi that the in order to save the planet and uh, help the moon's orbital decay, you just change the gravitational constant of the universe. Uh, lots of great things. He doesn't understand why he's hungry. He, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't do well as a human. Cute. He's so whiny. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he is very whiny. Yeah. Uh, l- lots of uh, great moments. And uh, I just enjoy how much Q annoys Picard generally. Um, and so I like their, their back and forth in this episode as well. My favorite part of that episode is when Q um, comes to sick bay to, to talk to data and it's when it's after data saved his life and they're repairing him and data can't talk yet because they haven't repaired that part of him. And, you know, Q tells him that, you know, he's a much better human than he'll ever be. And, and, I love the way they set that scene up with Data not being able to respond because I can't imagine a response that would have gone better in that scene than silence. Yeah, yeah. and it ends it has a great ending where it, it with Data and Q. Data Q gives Data a gift uh, and makes Data laugh. Oh, I love that, Jason. Do you love Deja Q? I think <laughs> that it is using Q in his best, which is laying him low and having him not be this impossibly powerful figure. So I do think it's actually a right. very good use of Q. Not not like tapestry level <laughs> where he well, might not even be is, there. is the best Q episode. But, but I, I think this is the best episode with, uh, well, I don't know. It's it's a good Q episode. It's a very good Q episode. I agree. All right. Um, I am going next and I'm going back to the original series. This will be my first original series pick. Uh, mm, and I have time. to say, I went I went for the classic. I went for my original series favorite episode and uh strange that it's the episode that pays it homage went before it but the trouble with tribbles is my choice i love this episode it is such a funny script by david gerald it's performed with a light touch by the actors i uh I got to see it performed live on stage at Trek in the Park in Portland a couple of summers ago, and it killed. It's so funny uh, that on it's a it's just it's a it showed like a like a band playing a song and you realize a cover of a song and you realize that that song's a really good song because it can be interpreted in different ways and you're like that's a really good song. I had that same feeling about Trouble with Tribbles. Like that's a that's a really good script. Like because on stage in a park on a su- uh, summer afternoon. It killed. It was hilarious. It was just, it's a funny episode. I love it. There's furballs. There's Klingons. 
There's 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 poison grain. Captain Kirk's just seething contempt for the bureaucracy <laughs> is amazing. Uh, Uhura is charmed by these tribbles and unwittingly leash, unleashes destruction on the Enterprise, which then is visited on the Klingons at the end. There's the con man Cyrano Jones. Um, I, I you know what's not to like? I love I love this episode, even though many tribbles die in it. Uh, that's okay. There, there, there are more tribbles. Sad. It has so many moving parts to it, and and they shouldn't all work together, but they do. Yeah. Right. And it's. I mean, it's an espionage story. It is. It's an espionage story. It's a con game. It's a cute animal story, and and it's a comedy. It's it's satire. It's you know all of these things. Uh, and how does it work? What the hell? Yeah. That shouldn't. That's how it works. That shouldn't work. Written by a teenager. Presumably right. with like the help of like Gene Kuhn or something, but yeah, or DC Fontana. And, and even though they had light moments in other episodes, even though they had other comedy episodes, uh, there is a clunkiness to the way they they play in the Harry Mud episodes, right? There's there's a lot of moments that work, and there are a lot of moments that just fall flat on their face. And this is just high comedy done perfectly, right? Oh, yep. And and I have it memorized too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the troll with tribbles is off the board. I have collected my top three picks, <laughs> so <laughs> yay for me! Draft over. Time for robo picks from Joe and Dan. Joe picks from Deep Space Nine the episode "Rocks and Shoals." Rocks and Shoals is one of the Deep Space Nine episodes inside of the story arc where the station has been taken over by the Dominion. Uh, we split our time between the planet surface where. Uh, Cisco and crew have crashed, uh, and the station uh, being run by the Dominion, uh, and uh, the remnants of the Bajoran uh, people still there. And it's a very interesting episode, not just for the A plot about what's happening on the uh, the desert planet, but uh, for what's happening on the station itself, because Kira is battling with what to do uh, surrounding uh, keeping the station up and running. How uh, she is accused by uh, a uh, Bajoran Vedic as as collaborating essentially with them that they need to resist. And Kira is very prepared to stop this this Vedic and uh, stop her from lashing out because she worries about what it will mean for the people on the station. Like, oh well, if we don't keep order, then you know things will be worse for us that's not something vedic yasm agrees with and in fact in this b plot uh vedic yasm surprises kira who is there to stop vedic yasm from from demonstrating when uh, uh she doesn't demonstrate uh in a, a traditional manner that that kira had expected rather the vedic uh hops off of uh one of the the upper levels of the promenade and hangs herself uh, it's a very dramatic scene uh shocking really um and it uh shocks kira um into realizing she needs to do something about this occupation of the station that that she is complicit in uh things as long as she just lets things operate in such a way that uh nothing bad happens um so that that is that is a really tough b-side um for for the characters now on the planet surface you have to deal with uh the situation surrounding the Jemadar, who have also crashed on the planet, and their Vorta. Uh, the Vorta is uh, named Kievan, and he has been wounded 
uh, he requires medical attention, and the Jem'Hadar are not very good at it. Uh, they they manage to get him medical attention from one of the captured uh, people that they they get on the planet's surface, um, and this is when uh, the Vorta reveals his plan to send the Jem'Hadar up against Cisco and the Federation, uh, but they will go in a very specific path uh, through a valley where it'll be easy to pick off the Jem'Hadar uh, because they can no longer shroud because they're low on Ketracel White. The Vorta is concerned that the Jem'Hadar will eventually run out of white and go crazy, so he wants to kill all of them. Um, and he knows that uh, Cisco will have to do it, whether Cisco wants to cold-blooded uh, commit cold-blooded murder on these these troopers or not, because the troopers will attack uh, no matter what and follow the Vorta's commands. So this is this is a very complicated issue for for cisco uh because he has to protect his people but he knows that this is kind of messed up uh so i i greatly enjoy this episode as one of the more complicated and uh, uh nuanced uh episodes that involve the moral issues surrounding both cisco and uh major kira's characters uh so i i feel like it's one of the the stronger episodes in this particular dominion arc although i would have picked the whole thing if i could have oh oh okay i i got this <laughs> so rocks and shoals is the one where o'brien tears his pants oh. so so they're they're in the dominion ship right they, they've stolen this dominion ship a while ago right starfleet put it back together and then they go on this behind or undercover mission behind the lines to destroy this facility and they do that in the previous episode right in this episode opens or no, the, the previous episode ends with them being chased by the Dominion. This episode opens with them getting their butt kicked by the Dominion, and they crash land into the ocean of this planet. And there's this scene right at the beginning where, and it's a beautiful scene, when, where you've got the Dominion ship in the background sinking slowly into the ocean yep. as, they're, as they're coming onto shore with this, like, makeshift raft, right? And they, they, they haphazardly, like, drag the raft and the the what supplies they could have gathered onto the beach and like you know jadzia's been severely injured she's on the raft and they're pulling her up and people are stumbling out of the water it's it's a hell of a swim from from that ship you can tell and and they all just kind of collapse in a heap on the beach and then after a moment o'brien looks down he's like oh damn it and then they're like what I tore my pants. And they're like, <laughs> Cisco's like, you tore your pants. He's like, yeah, I tore my pants. I guess I'm in real trouble now. And they all just laugh. Like it's they- it's so, yeah, they, they just burst out laughing because of the absurdity of, of the situation. And it's like, I love that line because it shows this camaraderie between not just like the the main cast that is present of the of Deep Space Nine, but also like these other ancillary characters that have joined them on this mission, not all of which will survive the episode, but it, it just sets things up so beautifully. And it, it's just one of those little moments that I cherish, which is why I opened the episode with it, with it. But nobody remembers it but me. So that's cool. Now, Justin surprised me by focusing on the pants, but I feel like there were some other stronger things, so hopefully everyone will agree with me and watch it, not just because of the pants thing. Thank you. 
But yeah, that, that's a great episode. Like the the rest, it goes on with this thing with Jem Hadar and whatever. But it's all about the pants line. For <laughs> it's me. all about the pants. Good. I'm it's sure that's what Joe was thinking too. Dan Morin picks also from Deep Space Nine. These guys, what is going on for the uniform? Mm. This is kind of the, it's not quite the end, but it's the penultimate chapter in this long arc running in DS9, and it has to do with a kind of minor character, um, but a recurring character, which is one of DS9's great strengths in that it brings back these characters over and over again and develops these arcs and um, evolves them over time. And that's um, uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Commander, former Lieutenant Commander Michael Eddington, who is in an earlier episode revealed to be essentially a, a Maquis uh, spy, mole, whatever you want to call him, and, and essentially betrays uh, the rest of the DS9 crew and goes off to join the Maquis. And so what we get here is the Cisco is sort of, you know, Moby Dick style. Uh, Moby Dick style has, is like tracking down Eddington and trying to uh, capture him. And he's become obsessed with this. And so we get this interesting parable and interesting um, development in Cisco's character that shows that he's willing to cross certain lines. And I think what's great about this is in, is that it's a microcosm of DS9 and what I love about the show and that it's not, it's willing to paint its protagonists in a more questionable light. Not Things are not black and white. Uh, I feel like a lot of Next Generation and even the original series to a certain extent, you know, portrays our characters as the good guys and this is not the case in DS9. And this is a uh, this happens before uh, my favorite episode, which I know someone else picked uh, in the Pale Moonlight. Um, but in this case, it shows sort of the permeability and, and flexibility of Cisco's character in willing to give up these Starfleet ideals in order to fulfill essentially this sort of revenge plot. Um, there's a lot of great stuff here. His interactions with Eddington, uh, Kenneth Marshall are really just, they're loaded, right? And Avery Brooks gets to bring this sort of gravitas and fury, which is what he does so well in this show. And there, there are arguments back and forth and, and Eddington basically draws a parallel with Les Miserables and calls Cisco Javert for tracking him down and feels like what he's done is not worth Cisco's obsession with him. And, and Cisco's willing to cross the line and essentially, uh, destroy if not you know not like outright kill a bunch of people uh, maquis settlers on a planet but essentially like make their home in hospital and force them to flee which is pretty brutal um and you know eddington essentially gets to play the hero here and even in a conversation with cisco and dax they talk about how eddington's the hero of his own story uh and it's not a thing a perspective i feel like we get that much in uh in the star trek series and so you know, essentially Eddington gets to make the heroic sacrifice and, and Cisco uses that against him. And so, you know, watching this episode in a vacuum, I mean, I've seen all the previous episodes, but rewatching it in a vacuum, Cisco does not come off looking very good here. And Eddington does seem more heroic in some fashion. And so it's, it's you know, without having that previous, uh, you know, run up in, in Eddington betraying him, it's definitely makes uh, Cisco less sympathetic. Uh, and so, yeah, I love this. Deep, Deep Space Nine is great at painting the gray shades of Starfleet and uh, and these characters. And I think that is uh, a big contrast to the previous episode I picked, which is sort of fun and delightful. Is this one is a lot grittier and a lot more uh, morally questionable. 
Uh, it's got some weird choices, the hollow communicators, which are rarely seen again. They're nice because like then you don't have people arguing on a view screen a lot, which is super boring, but it's also kind of a weird decision. I also really like the sort of submarine movie homages when the Defiant is damaged and they have to have Nog relaying all the orders and calling things out. And it makes things seem a lot more tense because the Defiant is not running a full capability and thus it makes it, you know, the 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 ensuing battles it has with the Maquis feel like they have higher stakes. Um, yeah, so this is a really a really great episode. Um, it's part of that long serialized tradition of DS9, which makes it sometimes hard to sort of jump in and out. But uh, I think it, it really does a nice job of illuminating Cisco's character, especially. No, it's it's it's, it's okay. There's no there's no pants get torn. There's in no that pants one, tearing in that. Thank thank you <laughs> yeah. thank you. All right, let's go back to the top of the order. David, what's your next choice in the fourth round? Do I go for another Deep Space Nine episode? I think I might go for another Deep Space Nine episode. Yes, uh, do and, it. and another special alternate existence one. Of course. Um, because, but this one kind of makes sense, knowing my tastes. It's uh, Far Beyond the Stars, where mm. Ben Sisko wakes up. And he's in 1950s New York City, and he's a science fiction writer named Benji, mm-hmm. who has this wonderful story that he wants to sell about this space station and the crew that works on her. And we we get to see all of the regulars out of makeup, mm-hmm. which is always a treat, and mm-hmm. playing very uh, 50s stereotype characters. And so it's it's the you know the the struggle between. Uh, the reality of what it would be like to be an African-American science fiction writer in the 50s, which not an easy road to hoe. Um, and and again, another wonderful alternate variation. It's like getting to see this fictional space station, right? It's it's meta in the best sense of the word. Uh, and and they all they all seem to have a blast getting to do that. uh late 40s early 50s style of acting and and the dialogue and it's just it crackles and they get to bring back benji russell a couple of times and he becomes important uh to cisco's identity and his relationship with the prophets which again is a nice touch uh and getting getting to comment on science fiction and getting to comment on what they're doing and again it's that tightly focused writing staff that all stuck together all right justin what do you have Choices, choices. Okay, so for this next one, uh, allow me to uh, preface this by reading a sentence from Memory Alpha under the trivia section for this episode, which reads, This was the first Star Trek two-part episode with different names for part one and part two. So it is indeed a two-part episode. No. Even though they're named different. No. Nope. <laughs> memory alpha is not, <laughs> memory alpha doesn't get to call it a two-part episode if it doesn't it have part one or part episode. two in the name it you have to pick one of them it's and not the part. other man jason pick the one with pants in it <laughs> <laughs> the one with the most ripped pants justin <laughs> i guess i'll have to go with improbable cause from deep space nine then all right the one, the one where uh, Garrick blows up his own shop when he gets wind of in- assassins on his tail and decides to involve Odo in the only way he knows how. Lo- I love Garrick. I love me some Garrick, as somebody said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a great part one of a two part episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Dias cast, the second part, is available. Oh, 
for whoever also loves me some Odo. Whoever wants, whoever wants to do that. Aline? Okay. Um, you can make your so husband t- very happy by picking the die is cast now. Oh, yeah. I don't do that, though. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so there's a TNG episode. I want to choose crud. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the DS9 trend um, and make Jason shake his head in wonder even more uh, for the continued DS9 episodes. But more TOS and I- TNG episodes for me. Go right ahead. <laughs> I am picking It's Only a Paper Moon. Um, so this is this is a holodeck episode. Uh, I, I don't remember. Is this the first holodeck episode? Maybe the only holodeck episode. Um, but it is, uh, there's a war going on. Um, one of our characters who we have seen grow up loses a leg in this war. And um, Nog returns to Deep Space Nine after, you know, being in rehab for a little bit. And it's an episode about him dealing with the post-traumatic stress that comes with being in a war and being severely injured and having to kind of change your life. And I I just think that it's such a neat way to frame it. Um, I think it's a, a topic that uh, that we could talk about more just kind of in general outside of like gritty shows. And um, I like Vic. I, I like Vic. I like I like the nightclub. I like the singing. I like Las Vegas. I don't know. Um, and right as a result, um, the holodeck, this program runs on on um, in the hollow suite in into all of forever. Um for Nog and the crew so mm. that they can come drop in. And I just, I, I, I think it's kind of a sweet episode and I think that it's, um, it's an important episode. Solid. Too. That's a last season of Deep Space Nine episode too. So there's mm-hmm. an Esri Dax in that one. Is, yeah, boy, that's unfortunate. All these Deep Space Nine episodes. <laughs> Scott, what do you have? No, what Deep Esri. Space Nine episode did you choose, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am, uh, I will The continue. die is cast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I won't do that. I will continue the Deep Space Nine trend, though, and pick a season one episode of Deep Space Nine, uh, which is one of my favorite episodes. Featuring one of my favorite characters, Kira Nerese, uh, duet. duet. Damn it! Which is just a fantastic episode. If you haven't seen it, it involves it so uh, good. a Cardassian who is an alleged war criminal. Uh, who who uh, Kira thinks has done horrible things, uh, and he's masquerading as this clerk, uh, and he uh, convinces her basically that he is in fact this war criminal, but it turns out that he was not. He is the clerk who was working at the basic concentration camp, uh, and he felt so much guilt because he couldn't stop the massacres. So he uh, has this psychosis that makes him think he is this war criminal. Uh, it's just such a great. There's there's so much great one-on-one acting uh and and the scenes between kira and this guy yeah. uh it's fantastic that's that's canadian actor harris yulin who is excellent and this was you know i had been watching deep space nine at that point and going wow they they may just pull this off this is an interesting cast this is an interesting setup this is fine and that came on and blew me away because that was going to be my next choice and it, I love, I love a good interrogation episode. I love a good one-on-one. I mean, that's, that's, it's a very theatrical thing. Big shock. Um, and this, this was a story which, and they figured this out pretty quickly on Deep Space Nine. This was a story they could only do on Deep Space Nine. 
it, th- there is a, a, a weight to the history between their two races and, uh, and especially with her personal history. Uh, you couldn't necessarily have just done that on the spur of the moment on the other shows to that point. And, uh, but just beyond being a good concept, the, the crackle of the dialogue and they're clearly relishing getting to do this kind of a, a an episode, just beautiful. And that scene where he breaks down and he admits yeah. that he was the clerk at the very, it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's really good. I, I was torn. I put one Deep Space Nine episode on my list and I was torn between that one and this one. They're very similar in some ways. Uh, because hmm. the next season they came back and they did another Kira episode that is very good. But um, but that one's a great one. Great episode. Um, but I'm not going to pick that episode because there's only Deep Space Nine in this round so far. And that's madness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get caught up on the original series a little bit and pick uh, the I, I've now picked the four episodes at the top of my list. I've gotten them all. <laughs> you know, wow. the, the Trouble with Tribbles is a very funny episode. And you could make the argument that it is the funny episode of Star Trek. But that doesn't give enough credit to one of my very favorite Star Trek episodes a piece of the action oh, yeah. in which Kirk and Spock beam down to the gangster planet and cause any <laughs> number of trouble. Vic Tabak from Alice is one of the gangsters in it. He, they oh, teach a kid. They like bribe a kid to, to fake that he's, that he's hurt. Uh, they, they end up in zoot suits. They invent the game of Fizbin. Scotty threatens, learns to talk like a gangster so he can threaten them from above on the Enterprise. Um, you know, and they even have not a bad so much of the original series is like parallel planetary evolution and that's why we have this planet of romans and things like that no there was a federation ship that left a book behind about gangsters and they thought it was great and so they decided to form their whole society based on that book and this is the you do. complete failure of the federation that kirk steps into they don't have to break the prime directive it's already been broken it's great so i, I just it's absurd and funny and there's some light action in it but it's just all comedy i find it strange apparently gene roddenberry hated the comedy episodes and they they stopped doing them but Mm. mid second season in a three episode span you have this and the trouble with tribbles because i believe gene roddenberry said get them get get them out of the way and never do any more of these comedy episodes and they're both great so i love a piece of the action and and i love that it's it's a very sly satire on on pop culture and trends, right? It's it's the imitative yeah. society going, "Hey, this is really cool. We're all going to do it." And and it's it's so lightly done. It's it's cuz it doesn't hit you over the head with that part of the concept. No, but at the end McCoy leaves his communicator behind and they realize they're going right. to go back there in 20 years and they're all going to be wearing like gold shirts and and blue shirts. <laughs> it's just how it's going to be. <laughs> and I mean it's it is a, a pitch perfect spoof of the Untouchables, which had been popular a few years earlier. And and I just I love the names Bella Oxmix and Jojo Krakow. All right, with the Robo pick, Joe is picking a Voyager episode <gasps> called what? Hope and Fear. Hope and Fear is one of those Voyager episodes where they think they're going to go home, but they're totally not going to go home. Um, and there are a lot of those. So it's not interesting on that level. Uh, what is interesting is how the uh, crew deals with trying to think about what, what it means to go home, uh, notably Seven of Nine uh, and Janeway, and how that uh, comes into their relationship with one another. Because Seven of Nine isn't really from Earth in in 
the traditional sense. Uh, it's not the home that she knows. She's not as jazzed by going back as everyone else is. Everyone else is super jazzed. Uh, BT dubs. Um, but uh, the the prospect of going there is not as alluring to her. And this makes her deeply suspicious of the convenient alien who was able to conveniently decipher the transmission, which conveniently led them to the very convenient Federation ship with a very convenient faster than warp drive, uh, the, the quantum slipstream drive. And uh, because of her suspicion, um, they it helps them avoid uh, some uh, possible calamity. Although, you know, this this isn't Janeway's first rodeo either. She, she doesn't beam everybody immediately over to the alien ship as the alien had intended. Um, and uh, this, this leaves them with uh, a scenario that uh, only Janeway and uh, Seven are captured. Um, and when they're captured, they have a scene in the brig where they, they have uh, a very heartfelt moment where they are using a microfilament whatever to rearrange the things it doesn't matter what that is it's just a reason for them to talk to one another and uh it's acted superbly by kate mulgrew and jerry ryan uh where they have to play off of um not just the feelings in this episode but the feelings since her introduction in the series which is not something that had happened very often in voyager where people are referring to things that had happened in the past but uh it is it is a nice way to uh go on that little uh trip uh, of what of what it meant for her so that's why i quite enjoy this episode and not so much the actual possibility of them going home as ridiculous as that seems thank you robo joe and robo dan selects from the next generation okay, they're steering away from deep space nine at last he he uh selects second chances in which we discover that Will Riker, due to a transporter accident, has been duplicated, and another Will Riker has been sta- stranded on a planet for eight years. Second Chances is a weird one, but kind of a great idea. Essentially, the premise of this Next Generation episode is that eight years ago, Riker was uh, a lieutenant, and he was helping evacuate a station. And uh, so the modern-day Enterprise goes back because they have an opportunity to sort of check out the data logs from the station, which they really want. They beam down, and they find that Lieutenant Riker from eight years ago was stuck there. And so essentially, there are two Rikers. Uh, one is is the Riker who was left behind uh, after this and has sort of survived on his own, like uh, castaway style in the station for eight years. He's all bedraggled and everything. And the other is the Will Riker we, we know and maybe love. Um, and so this entire episode is kind of a showcase for Jonathan Frakes to play these two characters off of each other because they are the same person. You know, very fun. Early on, fundamentally, we learn that these are they're not just like, it's not just like even clones, right? Like they are fundamentally the same person who not so much took a different choice, but took two different paths. Their lives branched at a point. And so, you know, Will went on and got his promotion and he broke up with Deanna and, you know, he makes commander and he decides to stay on the Enterprise instead of getting his own command. And Thomas Riker is, you know, uh, was kind of still this brash, even though they're the same age, he's kind of still this young, more brash, more reckless uh, version of of Riker who hasn't had to take on all that responsibility. And so we kind of see them clash throughout this episode. And, and really the plot is is window dressing here. This is really about the choices we make and how that impacts our lives. And so we see, um, you know, the younger or the Lieutenant Riker 
get involved with Deanna again and still have all the feelings uh, because he's been thinking about her for eight years while he's been trapped on this station. And he's a little more reckless. He's used to doing things his own way. And he and Riker clash a whole bunch um, because, you know, Will Riker has grown up and become the first officer and is part of the chain of command and used to giving orders and all that stuff. And and Thomas Riker has been used to doing things on his own. Um, and so I, I really enjoy these two facets of this same character. And Riker is a, a charming, likable guy, I think. And so having a second version of him is it makes for a really interesting dynamic especially when the uh commander Riker has to order him around and he sort of takes umbrage at that but what i think is really well done here is that you know you compare it with some of like uh, i think about classic trek episodes um there's was it i'm trying to remember which episode there's at least there's some episodes where there's transporter accidents and you get like duplicates of people so we have the episode where there's like evil kirk and good kirk and it's like that would have been the cop out right is like have some of this be like evil riker and you know the fact that they're both essentially still will riker and they're both good people makes it far more interesting and you know at the moment which is sort of the climax of the episode where uh they're crossing this bridge and the uh lieutenant riker uh, it gives way lieutenant riker is like falling down he's holding on and and commander riker has to pull him up and and lieutenant riker's like no just let go you know one of us has to get through and do this mission and you know commander riker is is he not willing to leave his crew member behind even though he he doesn't really like you know the lieutenant Riker version of himself he's still you know he's not a bad guy he's gonna save him um and so it's really an illuminating look at the character of Riker I I think you know we have a brief aside with Data and Worf where uh Worf talks about how the reason they might not get along is that uh you see something in yourself that you don't really like about yourself and that you know that's clear here even though I think part of commander riker's um you know commander riker's um regret here is that he is not still that sort of more uninhibited uh fellow i think he also sort of you know takes what he has and and sort of embraces his own you know the, the experiences he's had since then so uh i think it's a great episode it's a, another really great like here's a great premise let's just sort of explore what this happens and i and i again as with the cause and effect i like the idea that these guys are just like thomas Riker, as he eventually dubs himself just goes off into the world here and uh, we see him briefly reemerge on uh ds9 where he uh takes some choices that are very unwill Riker like uh and that's kind of a fun exploration of that character as well so uh yeah this one gets a, a thumbs up that's a fun episode it is fun Good job, Robo Dan. Those are those are fine episodes and all, but like they're not the Dias cast. So they're, they're not. <laughs> it's still on the board. They haven't sniped you yet, Justin. Oh, if you want to take two yeah. rounds to pick both parts, otherwise maybe not. Uh, well, let let us enter the fifth <gasps> round. Oh, is is this the crazy round, <laughs> Scott? What did you think I was going to say? I, I don't know. I was excited. It sounded very dramatic. <laughs> let, well, this may be our last round. Oh, I know. Ooh. David, That's what insane. do you have? Well, I'm going to save a lot of good ones for the lightning round. Yep. And I'm going to pick what I think is the second best Q episode, All Good Things. Oh. It's, a, it's a very, very tricky time travel paradox. Uh, it is told in three, at least three time periods, the past, the present, the far future. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a slight 
hiccup at the end that doesn't quite make sense, but I, I forgive it because it's just such a damn good story and it's fun to see sort of the, the before Farpoint and then the present day and then the future where everybody supposedly winds up and how, how, uh, their lives have all changed and they're coming, coming back together. And it has, you know, it's the series finale. It has grace notes from all different episodes. It has a little touch of family, which is one of my favorite episodes. It has touches of, um, the, the early, the early seasons. And you can, you get to see Tasha Yar again, which is nice to do in your series finale. Right. Ron Moore and Brandon Braga had been working on the script for Star Trek generations for like almost that whole year while doing the show. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, they get the assignment to write the finale. They bang that thing out in about, what, two weeks or something. And that is a brilliant episode followed by this movie that they worked on that is kind of okay. Not Right, great. but it's got that's the example of like it's all the pressure, and we got to get William Shatner in here and the original cast, and it's going right. to be a feature. And right. they kind of, whereas mm-hmm. when they were unencumbered by all of that oversight and concern and could just knock out uh, the, a TNG episode, they did a great one. And it's just fun, right? It's a rip snorting adventure. It, it touches all the right, um, the notes too of, of for a series finale. Series finales are hard to do, right? And this one does a great job. It calls back to the first episode, it tells you what might be a future for all of them, and then it makes you feel that that last scene where, where Picard comes to the poker game is so yes. well done. That's so good, yes. And and another a nice touch is that in each era. As he as as Picard is flashing from era to era, it's not it's not the entire cast in every era. Right. You get a little bit of the cast here, a little bit of the cast there, a little bit of the cast there. And it's you know, it's it's a very nicely balanced you, you find out that Picard and Crusher got married and then got divorced, which was a nice touch. Um Yep. But yeah, it's it's my favorite time travel adventure in, in Next Generation and my second favorite Q episode, which is also I mean it is Kind of a quantum leapy episode too, so maybe maybe they should just should have done that with Q. I don't know. Yeah, it's a solid episode because it's got data and he's alive in the future, just like he definitely is alive in the future. Yep, that's, <laughs> that's right. right. Like de- why he just there lives would be no reason why he wouldn't be <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yes. yeah, he's a backup brand, and uh, there's positronic androids out there. You just get a, get your dune buggy, <laughs> drive around, you'll find one. Justin, <laughs> what do you have? <laughs> well. This is a tough one since it's the last official round, perhaps. Um, so I've got to go with a Voyager episode. And it's a Voyager episode that's a bit unlike most other Voyager episodes. It is flashback. The one in which Ooh, Janeway yeah. enters Tuvok's mind. And they're, they're trying to do something, but something goes wrong. And they go into his memories of serving as uh, an incident or lieutenant on the Excelsior with Captain Sulu and George Takai is here. And most of the cast that was on the bridge with him during the undiscovered country as they return, they are on the set that is incredible. I mean, it's not the same set. They actually had to build this set in two weeks, whereas the original Excelsior bridge took like 12 weeks and much more money to build. And it looks fantastic. And, they pull all of it off. Like it's, it's just like, it, it's just like there's this other series in another parallel universe where 
they decided to just follow the adventures of the Excelsior with Sulu as the captain, and then they just plucked an episode out and just plopped it down into yep. our universe. And I'm like, here you go. And it's it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful because it works, and there's a battle with some Klingons, and and it's just it's just a delight. Aline, what do you have? All right. Well, I'm going to go with the one that I didn't pick last round the die is cast (laughs) (laughs) i don't even have this one written down i didn't look on memory alpha because i thought someone would take it in like round one or two and i was just like i'm not even gonna try to fight for it but nobody's picked it yet i don't know what's wrong with all of us but the measure of a man (laughs) oh it was on my uh, list (laughs) from the next generation and um in which uh the personhood, uh, Data's personhood is up for debate um, and it becomes a trial and Riker has to argue um, to the court that Data is not a person and is property. And yeah. um, it's a wonderful episode. It's 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 so well done. And it's one of those really uh, uh, deeply thought provoking episodes, um, which sometimes sometimes star trek doesn't get quite right it got it right this time it's a season two episode it is perhaps the first great good next generation yes. episode yeah. yes mm-hmm. yep. absolutely. absolutely and melinda snodgrass wrote it as a spec script <laughs> and not only did they make yeah. it but they hired her <laughs> so yeah good script yeah and we learned that yep. it's easier to turn data off than it is to turn off my iphone <laughs> Well, you, you you don't have to uh, hold the button as long. <laughs> that's, that's, no, you don't. <laughs> we just tap it and he's off. Yep. It's... Which is a great moment, but... <laughs> you should really have to, like, hold down the thing on his back and then, like, rub the top of his head to shut him right, down. Right, like, turn his head a couple of degrees or something. Like, pull a earlobe. <laughs> that's why he doesn't do the Carol Burnett uh, sign-off, yeah. because he just He would turn himself, himself off. off. Indeed. <laughs> Oh, that's a great episode. Yeah, one thing I want to call out about this episode is the performance that Jonathan Franks gives because he's tasked with, you know, yeah, through through ridiculous ridiculous script match, machinations of well, <laughs> yeah, it, the, the next like, highest ranking must be the prosecutor. Like, all right, yeah, uh, but still, it's yeah, so great. Yeah. He has to process. He has to prove adversarial situation. He has to prove the data is not alive, even though he doesn't believe that, and he does a good job. He has to prove. He has to do his best work. Yeah, and he he's he's ordered to do a good job because she's like, if I don't believe you're doing the best job you can, I'll I'll just call this whole thing off. Yeah, and like the the premise about that is absolutely nonsensical and absurd and whatever, but it leads to such a wonderful performance by him, in 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 because you can see like he's doing this because he has to do it mm-hmm. or or everything's gonna fall apart, but he hates doing it, and that comes across so so well. I love it. It's a great episode. Yep, it is. Um, and at the end, uh, I, I actually kind of like the, the 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 bad guy in that episode is Bruce Maddox, who is the 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 researcher, and he's a complicated character. He wants to study data, um, and doesn't think that data is alive. But uh, you know, he is trying to understand data, and data doesn't hate him so much as think he's misguided. And at the end, there's that nice moment where he refers to data as he instead of it, and he gets called on it, and because he says he's remarkable isn't he? And and Data says, if you further your research, I will be happy to help you. Like, he's not, you know, you're dead to me, jerk. <laughs> he's like, no, I'll help you. <laughs> yeah. You just aren't, you, you don't put me at risk for your research. Right. You've learned and I will stay in touch. Yeah. Email me. Yeah. And later in the series, like way, way later, 
data mm-hmm. actually is is seen recording log entries to send to to Maddox. Yeah. And it's just this super subtle thing that ties that together like several seasons later. It's really good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They were they were getting really good at that on mm. on that show. Yeah. Scott, what's your last pick? I will uh pick an episode that tells the classic story of boy meets Gorn. It is <laughs> Arena from the original Yay! series. Uh, Captain Kirk and Gorn beam down to a planet. Two <laughs> enter, one shall leave. Uh, my money's on Kirk. Uh, and even, I love this episode. It's just an iconic original series episode. The Gorn is lumbering and ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> Captain Kirk's solution to make a cannon out of diamonds and sulfur. Coal. And, uh, it's just craziness. Uh, coal, that's right. Uh, and a bamboo tube. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't make much sense, uh, but I like it so much. And even better when they redid, uh, all of the effects, uh, for the Blu-ray release, uh, they went to the trouble of making the Gorn blink. It's hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Yep. And, and the rest of the crew gets to watch TV for most yeah, of the Yeah, they just watch it on That's the right, TV just like us. <laughs> Let me do my impression yes. of the Gorn. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That's it. Spot on. Also, a slee stack Wait, I there from was a Gorn in land, the room. land of the yes. Lost. Basically, it's yes. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a fun. That's a fun episode. It's. I like the constraint of it. It's just like you know, the the setup is just we're gonna we're, we don't want your spaceships to fight, so we're gonna let your two captains fight it out. And we basically they put the solutions in the in the field there at Vasquez right. Rocks and Kirk figures it out. <laughs> which leads to Spock having to explain the science to us. He Oh yes, if there was only a small yeah. quantity of coal he says to McCoy. Because Spock narrates most of it. It's pretty funny. Look, look, Doctor, a bamboo tooth. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's like Darmok, uh only with more uh cannons. And and and, and, and ripped shirts. Yeah. Yes, he rips his shirt. Okay, I am going to pick, again, I'm really kind of overcorrecting here, but I'm literally just picking the next one on my list. Overcorrecting for Scott, (laughs) chastising me for not picking original series episodes. I'm going to pick another original series episode. Even though I've got a Voyager, a Deep Space Nine, and I had an Enterprise on my list, the next one down... Follow your heart, Jason. uh, I did get... Inner Light was sniped for me. I didn't get to pick that. But I am going to pick Balance of Terror, Ah, which is a classic submarine story basically where the Romulans are in one ship and the Enterprise is in the other. It's it's claustrophobic. Uh Mark Leonard is the captain of the Romulan ship. It is I, I watched this not too long ago with my family. I was like, this is a good episode and we watched it. And it's like it's so good. It's so tense. And you really feel for Mark Leonard. He's the bad guy because he's the en- enemy captain but it's like it's it's a cold war situation the, the, you know and he says at the end i think in another universe i could have called you friend to kirk but and they, they try to outwit each other and there's drama and there's some personal drama in it and it is uh it's such a great episode it is it is it is wonderfully yeah. done yeah yeah that was on my list too yeah it's just it's such a good episode and 
and the reveal when they show what Romulans look like and the crew is like, what? Well, there's Wait the racism because they think it's Spock. And styles. And there's the racist crewman, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then of course, the what happens in the end is that Spock races into the phaser control room and saves the racist crewman who hates him because he's got pointed ears. And then, of course, there's also the tragic bookends, which is it, the episode begins with a wedding that gets called off because of Red Alert. And at the end, we discover that there has been one fatality during the battle, and it is the the groom and Kirk has to go to the chapel and console the bride. It is, oh, and, oh. and he was just about to retire the next day. Yeah, I'm sure he was. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so great. Uh, it, it's a, yeah. it's a very good episode. Yeah. All right. We have, we have two robotic picks left. Um, Joe's robo pick is a Voyager episode. Interesting message in a bottle. Ah, fair uh, enough. That's a good one. It's a good one. Message in a Bottle is another fun episode of Voyager. It is uh, very light in tone. It does have some serious plot elements that they use to move things forwards. Uh, the Herosian network is used to uh, reach across from the Delta Quadrant to the Alpha Quadrant and uh, for the first time reconnect with uh, a Federation ship. The message that they send is too garbled. They have to send a hologram for reasons that are dumb um but they they use that uh to justify sending uh the doctor uh across space to uh a federation ship that they detect on the very edge of this network and that is the prometheus uh a special fancy prototype uh which has been taken over by romulans and that's not so great um now this is a an interesting episode because the doctor has to play off of the ship's own EMH played by Andy Dick back when you used to could still cast Andy Dick in things and they have to work together with the doctor being the more experienced of the two and the the Andy Dick character being much more like the original doctor uh was when he was activated in and admiring um Robert Picardo's uh, doctor and his, his abilities uh, from being in the Delta Quadrant. Now, they do, of course, manage to successfully take the ship back over and uh, reconnect with the Federation, and the doctor is sent back with some additional information, and uh, that that's, it's fun. It's fun. It's just fun. Just enjoy it. Whatever. It's not a big deal. Thanks, Joe. And Dan's robo-pick is an interesting choice. It is... <laughs> Oh, a little judgment there. <laughs> well, I remember my thoughts when I watched this episode, but Dan has chosen the TNG episode, Disaster. The last episode I picked is kind of an oddball one, though. I guess you could argue they've all been sort of oddball. Disaster is season five, episode five of The Next Generation, and it's kind of an homage to disaster movies. Basically, the Enterprise is incapacitated by a MacGuffin quantum filament but it's a macguffin and a whole bunch of characters are sort of separated and uh isolated in various parts of the ship and what is what i enjoy about this and this was one of the other first episodes i ever saw along with cause and effect um but what i enjoy about this is that it's a heavily character driven episode where we get to see pairings that we don't often see throughout the rest of the show uh and characters are put into different situations so for example um, Jordy and Dr. Crusher are stuck in a cargo bay and need to engineer slash medical their way out of a problem. Um, uh, Troy is the ranking officer on the bridge along with O'Brien and Ensign Rowe. And we have Worf uh, is <laughs> in 10 forward and ends up having to deliver uh, Miles and Keiko's baby. And Picard 
is stuck in a turbo lift with a bunch of kids. And this is a lot of fun because all of these people are kind of out of their element here. Picard doesn't like kids. Worf is only taking a emergency medical class. Troy does not have command skills, even though she is the ranking officer. Uh, and so it's a lot of fun to kind of watch these characters deal with situations that are out of the everyday. Um, I think that there's a lot of good seeds sown here for future development of these characters, including Troy eventually taking on command responsibility. Um, and uh, there's a the Worf and uh, delivering Molly O'Brien bit in particular is wonderful, and it's referenced in a uh, DS9 episode, which I actually did an episode of Random Trek on with Scott. Um, in that O'Brien hearing the second baby, O'Brien baby is on, or uh, Worf hearing the second O'Brien baby is on uh, its way announces that he will take a vacation to earth so he is not present when it is born um and yeah this is not like a particularly memorable episode in terms of plot or what have you but um having these various characters in uh weird situations is kind of delightful and i will never forget Worf announcing to keiko you are now fully dilated and may now give birth that line gets bandied about in my family way too much (laughs) Counselor Troy takes command of the bridge and this is like her first taste of command and it has a profound impact on her throughout the rest of like the series and the movies. So thumbs up down. It's it's a good episode. And Picard's trapped in the turbo lift with the kids and he's going to make a little crew with all this. Well, I mean, it's your Irwin Allen disaster movie is what it is. It's, it's a very smart, use of all those tropes and a very smart use of each of the characters that way see and my my memory of this episode is that i watched it and said yeah that was a disaster but that's me hey (laughs) thank you dan and thanks everybody else that is five rounds so that is a lot of episodes so if you're looking to do like a uh a big uh, binge of, of Star Trek episodes. We just have picked 35, but we are not done yet because now I'm going to ask everybody <laughs> to tell me what's left on your list that you didn't pick, David. All right, the crazy round. Um, Space Seed, come on. Yep. Space Seed, uh, Dagger of the Mind, where we, we get kind of an interesting story, but we also get one of the few uh, reasonably intelligent human being female characters from the Enterprise. Dealing with Kirk, which is kind of nice. Conscience of the King, because I just, you know, it's theatrical. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Devil in the Dark, which is a beautiful twist on a monster story where we are the monsters. monsters. Yeah, uh uh-huh. I love that one. That was on my list. The Doomsday Machine, uh, because there are a few things more entertaining than watching William Wyndham go insane. Yep. Um, uh, Yesteryear from the animated series, the only animated series mm-hmm. episode I'd consider. Uh, it is not good. No. That should not I was, be a pick. I was, trying, I was trying to find one from each one, and DC Fontana wrote it. Come on. Well, that doesn't mean it's good. Well, and it's true. <laughs> uh, from Next Generation, Sarek. Oh, yeah. Uh, partly because uh, it's a wonderful conceit for a story, a wonderful reason to have him there, and a wonderful mind meld sequence with, with Picard yeah. keeping Sarek's sanity together. Yeah. Uh, again, one one of the best moments of Stuart. Um, Yesterday's Enterprise. Yeah. Really good alternate mm-hmm. universe thing. Mm-hmm. Captain's Holiday, which I just enjoy because it's, it's Picard gets to do kind of a little uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark bit. Mm-mm. A little bit. Family. Uh, Relics, which as uh, they find Montgomery Scott. Yeah. And it's it's not yeah. so much uh, that it's a great plot. It's a fine plot. But it's a wonderful meditation on 
uh, heroes and mortality. Um, and, and he does a lovely job and they recreate the bridge of the enterprise. Um, and then because I like fun episodes of fistful of datas, which is ridiculous, but I love it. Uh, starship mine where Picard gets to do die hard yep. on a spaceship, uh, with, with a nice twist that instead of just, you know, the danger of the terrorists trying to steal the enterprise while it's empty, uh, there's also a cleaning process yes. that if he's not careful, will kill him, Space cleaning. which is great. Mm -hmm. It's a That's nice right. twist. It's, it's good to see that Tuvok gave up that life of crime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, I could just pick the whole damn series. Uh, the yep. serialization was brilliant. But if I had the only two that are left that I actually like identified uh, through the looking glass, because that's the first trip back to the mirror universe. Right. And uh, because I love 60s spy TV, Our Man Bashir, which is a, a holodeck adventure goes yep. gone horribly wrong. And, and Avery Brooks getting to be the super mad Bond villain, which I, I mean, that's just beautiful. And uh, I, I didn't have any Enterprise episodes left, uh, but my the only two I had left from Voyager... Tuvix and Neelix's lungs. No, um, oh. uh, fla flashback. And again, this will not surprise anyone. Bride of Chaotica. Sure. Because, uh, yeah. you know, for 40s pulp adventure. Justin, what about you? The die is cast. Yeah, so the die is cast, <laughs> sure. obviously, from Deep Space Nine. <laughs> we'll yes. come back to that. Let's start with the next generation. Um, so one of my, my last top pack that I didn't get from Next Generation was Schisms. Not because it's a very good episode, but because it starts with Data reading his poetry. And I just I just love Data's poetry. <laughs> Ode to Spot. So good, mm. so good. Felix Caddis. Um, I love Spot. New taxonomic spot. nomenclature. An endothermic quadruped. Carnivorous by, by nature. nature. <laughs> yeah. I could read the whole thing, but, uh, well, maybe later. Um, uh, like, like you, yesterday's Enterprise, um, a solid, solid episode. I love Brothers because Brent Spiner gives us three great performances huh. in, in the one episode. That's Fair always enough. fun. Yeah. Devil's Do is a lot of fun because space contracts. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Too um, much politics. Also, just re reused uh, 70s Star Trek script because there was a writer's strike. But yeah. That's the backstory on that one. <laughs> yeah, it, it works, though. Uh, Time Zero is just a fun little Data's romp head. in the past. Yeah, with Sam Clemens. And, oh, so good. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And a so pretty, next, pretty damn good Mark Twain. Yeah, Jerry yeah, Harden. Yeah, really TV. good. Yeah, Jerry Harden. Go, go Jerry. Okay, yeah, Deep Space Nine. Uh, basically the whole series, but Again. specifically... <laughs> Uh, in Purgatory's Shadow and by Infer Inferno's Light, another two-parter oh, that is definitely man. a two-parter, despite the fact that the two parts of the two-parter have separate names. It's a shame. Um, that's a great two-parter, <laughs> um, which is a single item on my list. Uh, another one is two uh, the ship. Uh, another one is the ship, <laughs> which is um, the one where the Dominion ship crashes on the planet and uh, they find it and then the Dominion wants it back and they won't storm the ship because there's a changeling on board. And it's like, well, why didn't the changeling just kill everyone on the ship? Whatever. It's fine. It works out. It's a great show. Rejoined is another one that made my list. Uh, that's the one where someone from Dax's past comes, um, who is also a joined trill. And in the past... Um, her symbiote and her Dax's symbiote, their previous hosts were married and they flirt with rekindling the relationship there. And that was 
very bold at the time because the two hosts in that episode were both female. And what I love about that episode more than anything else is that in the in that future, not a single person anywhere so much as bats an eyelash at two ladies being romantically involved. There's a yeah. lot of talk about the taboo about the troll society angle and everything, but literally nothing is even said about the fact that they're both ladies. In fact, Kira at one point is like, hey, like, I, I don't see what's the problem. Like, the, like they, they used to be in love and they're both here, so why can't they just pick up where they left off? And it's like everyone is just so incredibly tolerant and, like, they don't even think of it as a thing. And I love the way that that episode was put together for that reason. Um, the other Deep Space Nine one that I want to mention is Who Mourns for Mourn? Because Mourn's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, and like, like Morn just sits there and he never says anything. And then you learn all this stuff about Morn in this episode with all his treachery and his deceit and his little criminal enterprises and his old running buddies. And he still doesn't say a word and it, and it, it works and they pull it off and it's fantastic. It's a From, great caper episode. Yeah. 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 From oh. Voyager dark frontier because it's a space mm. safari and, and it's exciting and it's an adventure. And you could see some civilians on a ship tracking the Borg because they're batshit crazy, but whatever. And you know, it's like you chase the board. Good luck with that. But it's, it's a lot of fun. And those flashbacks are great. The other, the other Voyager one that I want to call out is drone because believe it or not, I, that episode moves me emotionally in that final scene where he refuses to let them save his life because he knows the Borg will just relentlessly chase them. And the effect that has on seven is just, it, it, it gets me, it gets mm. me every time. Um, and then um, the Enterprise episode was definitely in Amir Darkly. Uh, some honorable mentions, just because Enterprise isn't getting a lot of love this time. The Andorian incident, which has naughty Vulcans in it who are lying about their, about their yes. situation. Carbon Creek is a lot of fun, where it's a Paul tells the story of her ancestor who spent a good deal of her time on Earth and made a lot of money by saying, here's some Velcro. Uh, so Vulcans invented Velcro. Why not? It's Velcro. You're thinking of <laughs> And then the other one I really like is Dead Stop, where the Enterprise was damaged heavily in that minefield, and they come across this repair station, and they dock, and the thing repairs, like, everything, including, like, injuries to the crew and all this stuff. And they they give them their warp plasma as payment, and the, the station's automated, but... Lo and behold, the station actually kidnaps one of the crew to be part of the computer in the back, which is brains. And like, you know, overcharging for repairs is the theme of that episode. But it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and it's it's like Spock's brain done right. Yeah, kind of. Sure. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Aline, what do you have left that you didn't get to pick? All right. So the one I was going to pick um, next was uh, Bride of Chaotica. Uh, it's just... It's fun. I like holodeck episodes. I know and, that's also a, a, an opinion up for dispute. And it, it's a Brian Fuller episode. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. Um, and they have fun with it. It's another one where it's like you can tell that that if they weren't having fun, they at least acted like they had fun really well. Um, mm. So that's nice. <laughs> um, uh, I have Thine Own Self from The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Treachery, Faith, and the Great River uh, yeah. from Deep That's Space Nine. Uh, the reason I love this so much is it's another Nog Enterprise episode, and he's like, uh, uh, O'Brien needs uh, 
a, a part. I can't remember what it is. And Naga's like, oh, yeah, I can get that for you. And he like does all of these trades um, in the Ferengi fashion to get this part for O'Brien. And O'Brien's like, everything's going to go like I'm, I'm dead um, because Nog trades like Cisco's desk. And um, in the end, it all works out just <laughs> fine. Um, and it's also got a, a humanizing thing uh, with with Wayun and Odo. Um, kind of getting to know one another, um, which which is kind of cool. I also had who mourns for Morn just because I think, you know, we have this stoic, unmoving character throughout the series. And then we find out he's got this rich backstory and is apparently the life of the party. Hmm. Um, I have uh, the last one I have on my list because I had a pretty short list compared to everybody else um, is Deadlock from Voyager, um, which is kind of an... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good that's, one. That's that's uh, that's also on my leftover list. That is yeah. my favorite Voyager episode. It is. It's really. It is good. great. It is. It is the reset button episode that doesn't cheat with the reset button. Yeah. It kills Harry Kim, which is always fun to see. <laughs> that's your favorite thing I, in Voyager. I love that episode so much because it takes so many turns and you think you know where it's going and then it turns again yep. and you think you know where it's going and and you don't it's yeah i love i i legitimately love that episode that is a wonderful episode scott what did you have left uh i have uh three original series episodes uh one of which has already been mentioned the devil of the dark uh i love q and q's uh, the root of Q is the Squire of Gothos, uh, ah, which yeah. is uh, uh, a William fun Campbell episode where you know Q, the the Squire of Gothos, gets uh, scolded by his parents, uh, which is always fun. Uh, the Corbinite maneuver, yeah, that was uh, in which Kirk is his Kirkiest, uh, <laughs> and really also uh, we see a puppet, and that's always it's, great. Yeah, and Clint Howard, <laughs> we had a, we see a baby who runs a puppet who runs a giant that's spaceship. Right. It's great. <laughs> And and we get to have some Tranya. Yes, I hope you relish <laughs> it as much as I. <laughs> and I love the the way his ship looks. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, that's a great episode. Uh, uh, David mentioned yesterday's Enterprise. Uh, I think. Yep. Did he? Mm-hmm. Did anybody mention? Yep. Good dude. Oh yeah. Uh, he certainly mentioned relics, which I love because <laughs> Scotty appears, and there's a Dyson sphere. Always mm-hmm. fun. Uh, Deep Space Nine episode Blood Oath uh, also has uh, some <gasps> oh, yes. uh, original series roots in that three Klingon characters that appeared uh, in the, the original series appear in blood oath uh and they go on an adventure uh against the albino uh and uh, a voyager episode to round it out author author which is very much like uh measure oh. of a man in which uh the doctor writes a hollow novel loosely based on uh the characters like of voyager uh doesn't portray them in a particularly good light uh <laughs> and uh his novel is stolen by an unscrupulous publisher who sells it all because uh he's a hologram and he has no rights and uh that makes him sad my leftover list uh, also the corbomite maneuver i do love that episode um it is it is kirk at his kirkiest you got it he's just making things up and totally works <laughs> and we also have a a a problematic crew member in that episode who they have to deal with mr bailey and yes clint howard is in it he's great deadlock from voyager like i said my favorite voyager episode devil in the dark i love me the horda 
Oh, the yeah. Horda. Best, best, <laughs> Horda silicon, best silicon-based life form you can find. I'm a doctorate out of Brooklyn. Oh, man. Uh, Parallels from The Next Generation, which is the parallel universe oh, episode oh, where Worf yeah. is never more flummoxed than in that episode where he suddenly finds himself <laughs> married to Troy. Um, and <laughs> he he changes. his trophy keeps changing. The painting on the wall changes. It's so fun. Uh, I love it. Uh, that's that's worth it is best. And my Deep Space Nine choice was Necessary Evil from the second season of Deep Space Nine, which is kind of a Odo noir story. And it uh, yeah. he's investigating a, a crime and it has its roots in the occupation of Deep Space Nine back when it was Terok Nor and when Kira was a terrorist. And he uncovers facts that, seen in flashback of the things that uh, Kira was doing back then. And I, and that, that along with the episode that was already picked um, duet, uh, I love both of those episodes uh, for early deep space nine. They're both really good uh, Kira and in this case, and Odo two episodes. So that's my, that's it's my choice. It's a flashback to, to when uh, Kira and Odo were back on the Island for five yeah, years. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. It's just, it's a, that's a good episode. Joe had nothing left on his robo list. So I'm glad we stopped when we did. Joe! <laughs> it all got picked or was sniped. And Dan had a few left. <laughs> he had the search from deep space nine, which is when they get the defiant and then have to go into the, no. into the, uh, the gamma quadrant, uh, future imperfect, Perfect from TNG, um, yeah. which is that's the that's the creepy episode where a Riker wakes up in the future, but it's all mm-hmm. a fake. <gasps> but it's cool because uh, it's that it's that uh, what would it be like in the future? And it's a surprising future that he wakes up in, and relics with Scotty, and uh, and the, the there's a great reference to. Um, the episode with the Kelvins from the original series where, where, uh, data acting as Scotty's bartender pulls out the, the, the glass of, or the giant jug of, of booze. And it's, it, it, it is green, which is it's green. And, uh, it, it, and it's revealed what that is. That's El Delbrin whiskey because Picard gave it to Guinan and, and Scotty basically mm-hmm. drinks the whole bottle. <laughs> as this is right so that's a lot of Star Trek episodes there I have one thing before we wrap it up which is uh, although he couldn't be here tonight our good friend Philip Michaels did also make his list of what episodes (laughs) he wanted to pick so just to go over Phil's list number one Kirk beds an alien chick number two Data learns what it's like to be human fair enough number three enough of your damned antics Q I endorse this (laughs) number four something prime directive something Number five, Will Riker's holodeck sex party, not canon. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's head canon. Uh, Number six, enough of your antics, quark. (laughs) Sort of a follow on. And number seven, sitting on the edge of forever. Anyway, there you go. (laughs) Five pick. He, he sniped me on uh, Kirk Bed's nailing. Yeah, show. that's that's which what? Uh, I thought we couldn't pick multiple. Well, I know, and Data learns what it's like to be human. Also, that's about twenty episodes. So, also enough of your antics. Q, pretty much. Yeah, he's boiled it down to the key episodes. All right, let's uh, wrap it up now. I want to thank my guests for picking many, many Star Trek episodes. This was a lot of fun. Justin, Michael, thank you so much. It's been great to be here. I'm really glad this podcast worked out better than the Voyager episode, Course Oblivion. <laughs> David Lore, thank you. I am not a merry man. That's why I like oh, that. that is a, That's the only that is reason. So bad. It's so <laughs> bad. It's so bad. 
I love Worf. Ali- I do love Worf. I do not like that episode. <laughs> Aline Sims, thank you. <laughs> I love Worf. Scott McNulty, thank you. I ripped my pants. <laughs> there you go. Now we got it. Now we got it. It all comes back together. Reference acknowledged. Thank you to Robo Joe and Robo Dan, who could not be here tonight, but picked episodes anyhow, somehow. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.